Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, would you take your Bibles? Turn to James chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me just remind you to fill out that connection card that's in your seat. We're going to take those up here in just a moment. James chapter 1. I'm starting a new sermon series today entitled Real Religion, Testing Trials and Temptations. Now, follow me with what I'm saying here. James, we're going to pre- I'm going to preach through James chapter 1, but follow me with what I'm saying here. that there, Sometimes there's a disconnect between Sunday religion and Monday religion. Now, hold on. I'm not saying there should be. I'm not even saying you're doing anything wrong, but here's what happens is Sunday kind of becomes the classroom of Christianity, right? We've got it. We're going to hear a song. We're going to hear a sermon. We're going to hear a Sunday school lesson. And and like, we get it. We're in the classroom and we can pass the test and we can take our notes and all, all that's good. Look, I'm for all that. You should be taking notes. I mean, all that's great. But somehow on Sunday, what happens sometimes is we get up on Monday and Monday hits us with a two by four. And somehow what we, what we learned in the classroom on Sunday didn't translate into real life on Monday. And so that becomes a problem. And so... James uses that term pure religion at the end of the chapter. So I'm just borrowing his phrase and that'll be the last sermon in James 1 and calling it real religion. But what James deals with primarily in chapter 1 is trials, testings, and temptations. Because those those are the really, that's the incubator of the Christian life. It's how we deal with those things that determines our advancement in the Christian life. And so what, what James is trying to do in James chapter one is, and really the entire book of James is this way. James is trying to get us where the rubber meets the road. Like here's, here's practical Christianity. And here's the phrase I love, not platitudes, but how to's. How do we take the, this, this problem today we're looking at trials in, the, in life? How do we take this problem of trials and we just sang what was a beautiful, beautiful song, God is so good. And, and like, that's, that's awesome. I love that song. Get teary-eyed over here singing it. But what happens when Monday does bring suffering? Are we still able to sing God is so good? good? Well, James helps us with that. So I'm going to preach today on there will be a test. So just turn to James chapter one. We're going to stand and read in just a moment. That kind of sets up the whole sermon series. So how do we deal with trials in life? Right? I have, I have, I mean, I guess it's bad news that life will test your spiritual fortitude. Now I want to tell you, it's bad news for me too. I don't like it. Like I wish the preacher were exempt from trials. But the truth is, I'm not. My family is not. Our lives are not. The truth is, all of us are going to have heartaches. The truth is, all of us are going to have trials. The truth is, all of us are going to have difficulties. And the old line is true. Everybody in this building is either just coming out of a difficult time, you're in a difficult time, or you're about to head into a difficult time. And if you're sitting here today and you think, well, everything's good in my life, I am so sorry. 
Give it a little bit. It'll change. Because that's just the way life is. Sometimes life is just that way that you just wake up and when everything was going well, all of a sudden you wake up and you have explosions all around you. And speaking of explosions, do you like to see stuff blown up? I like to see stuff blown up, right? It's a guy thing, right? I like to see stuff getting blown up. And so just, just to be, just because I like seeing stuff blown up, uh, I, I found this video online in December last year, the Pontiac Silverdome, which had been the home of the Detroit Lions for so many years, the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, it hold, held 93,000 people, but the Lions had moved out of it. They had tried to repurpose it, but Detroit's in bad shape. And so they just couldn't do it. So that somebody, they tried a bunch of things. They decided to just tear it down. And so you ever seen them when they implode one of those buildings, they set charges all around it and it, and it blows up and it implodes on itself and it's really, really a, a cool thing if you watch it. And so, um, I don't know, I like to see stuff blown up, so let's watch this. Here's the Pontiac Silverdome coming down. There it goes. There, there's the charges. It blew out all the support columns around it and that noise you hear is a helicopter who's getting it on video. And so watch this. It's about to... All those support columns, it's just fun to watch stuff blow up, right? Watch this. It's going to come. It's about, just give it just a second. It's about to come crashing down because this is what happened last year when they blew it up. And um, uh, the helicopter is about to zoom in just here. There you go. It's going to zoom in and it's about to fall. Here we go. Three, two, one and a half. Here it comes, here it comes, get ready for it. It's so cool to watch stuff blow up and here, wait, hold on, wait for it. It didn't fall. <laughs> they literally set it up and they, 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 they blew it up and the thing didn't fall. They had to go back in the next day and set new charges in it and blow it up again. Now, would you want that job? <laughs> would you want to be the guy that is there saying, like, here's a bucket of dynamite. Just go do something in there. We blew it up yesterday, but it didn't fall. And like, my first thing, I want to raise, and I want to raise now. I want the money before I go in there. And, and, and so they, they had to blow it up again because when they, when they put the Pontiac Silverdome to the test, it didn't fall. And I want to tell you, there are times in life you feel like the Pontiac Silverdome. You feel like you're just minding your own business. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and explosions are going off in the foundation of your life. And you feel like the whole world is against you. Listen to me. That is just real life. And it takes real religion to deal with that. It's just one thing to talk about those trials on Sunday another thing when you face them on Monday there's the classroom and there's a street and James and James chapter 1 gives us some street advice so would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it James is kind of a hard book to find in the New Testament it's almost at the very end so if you if you haven't found it you can just look on the screen with me I'll read off the screen here it is in James 1.1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. It's pretty a harsh statement here in verse 8 because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Thank you. You may be seated. So let me walk you through a few verses and then make some application at the end because in James chapter 2, uh, James starts off with some, from some, the Greek starts off with these words in chapter, in verse 2. It starts off with the words, pure joy. Throw that back up on the screen, verse number 2. My brethren, can I all joy? Well, the word all joy in the Greek comes first and it, it's a word that means pure joy. James starts off a passage on trials in the Christian life by saying pure joy. Now, that's not typically how you're going to start off a, a, a passage about difficulties and hardships in life. Not only that, James says uh, with pure joy that you should count it all joy. The word in the Greek means that you reckon it to be joy. It's an accounting term that you chalk it up to joy. James is telling us how we are to respond to something. Well, how are we to respond to something? He, he says it in, in verse 2, that when you are to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, the, the term fall into is kind of the key verse in the, whole, in the whole passage because, listen, there's two kinds of trouble in life. There is trouble that's not your fault, and there is trouble that is your fault, right? You know the difference, right? Like, you can get yourself in a mess. Can I get an amen right there? Now, sometimes you're looking around and you're like, God, get me out of this. And God's looking down saying, <laughs> I can get you into it. I mean, there, there are decisions that you make in life that, that are your decisions. I mean, I mean, they're just things you do that it's your fault. If you are a Tennessee volunteer fan, it is your fault. You could do better. That's all I'll say. And, um, but then there are things that are not your fault. James chapter 2 is talking about things that are not your fault. And James is saying, uh, hey, listen, this is something, what I'm talking about now is something you fall into. It means to fall into something and be surrounded by it. In Luke chapter 10, it said that uh, somebody fell into a band of thieves. He couldn't help that he was robbed. In Acts chapter 27, it said that Paul fell into the, where two seas came together. Paul couldn't help it that he fell into the ocean. These are things that you cannot help. And where he's talking about in verse number two, he's saying that when you fall into trials, that is you get up one morning and you are surrounded by heartache. You are surrounded by difficulty. You are surrounded by trials. He said you're going to fall into those. And the word trials there is just not a... Uh, it's not a normal word. It, it, means a, it means a testing with a means to an end. For example, the same word is used in the Bible of a young bird is said to test its wings when its mother pushes it out of the nest. It's in order to test its wings. That, that same word is used when the queen of Sheba in the Old Testament came to test the wisdom of Solomon. It's the same word that is said about God and Abraham where uh, God uh, tested Abraham to see if he'd offered Isaac up. On the altar, you remember that story? 
And that was the word tested that was used there. It's the word testing with an end. And so James starts off by saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to chalk it up to joy when through no fault of your own, you fall into a hard time in life. Well, okay. In verse number three, he goes on to give us some more, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word testing there could mean, the NIV translates it, genuineness of your faith. It is, it is the process of refining silver or gold. That the, this, this genuine faith is produced through our testing. At the end of the day, it produces patience. And now you have to get in mind the, the word patience here. It's not the word patience if you have a two-year-old, that's not the word. You know, you, know, you think you have a two-year-old and Lord give me patience, that's not the word that's being used here. The word patience here means endurance. It means heroic endurance. It means fortitude. It means staying power. The endurance is not a meek submission to circumstances, but a strong, active, challenging response of, of Christianity during a difficult time. And here, here's what Paul is trying to tell us. Don't miss this. Difficulties are the laboratory of the Christian life. It's in the, it's in the, it's in the difficulties of life that the theories of Christianity are proved. And so God uses trials in your life. God uses heartaches in your life. God uses heartaches in my life so that he can prove that Christianity is all it's cracked up to be. It's a test. And how we deal with difficult times is the laboratory of the Christian life for the rest of the world to see. And so that difficulties are to produce Staying power, fortitude, endurance. In chapter 4, he said, in verse 4 rather, he says, Let patient have its perfect work, meaning let it finish the work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Of course, the word perfect there does not mean uh, without error. It means experience, seasoned, well-developed. It's a maturity that has nothing to do with age. It is, a, it is a quality developed by how much we've learned from the trials we've experienced. God wants us to mature in our faith. He wants us to be complete. That is fully trained in our faith. He doesn't want cheap substitutes, but he wants the real thing. And he, he wants us lacking nothing. That is, we have all the basic skills we need for the Christian life. And we now look like Jesus. See, most of us want to be like Christ, but we forget that one of the terms for Christ was man of sorrows. He went through worse difficulties than we'll ever go through. And when we endure those with a Christ-like attitude, it makes us mature and more like Jesus. And then in verse number five, he, he, and through eight, he moves into those who feel frustrated about the Christian life. God's just told you that you've got to endure these. You've got to, you've got to be complete in these. And James said, here's what's going to happen if any of you lack wisdom. Can I say it this way? James says this, if any of you get confused in the Christian life, can I ask you a question this morning? How many of you have ever been confused by what God's doing in your life? Can I see your hand? Man, is that not the truth? 
There are just times in the Christian life where I am confused. There are times in the Christian life where I don't know what's going on. And God and James says this to us. He said, here's what you need to do. When you get confused by these trials and what God's trying to do in your life, if any of you lack wisdom, listen, there should not be an if. It's when you lack wisdom, not knowledge, but wisdom. Ask God, who is a giving, generous God and who does not mind if you ask, and he will give to you generously. But there's a couple of conditions. You've got to ask with faith and you cannot doubt. Ask with faith and you cannot doubt. The answer from God depends on your belief in God. And he'll give you the wisdom to get through difficulties. So that's James's classroom on trials. How does that play out in real life? How do we take that classroom theology and apply it in everyday lives when things are not going well for us even now? Let me give you three things he was trying to say to us that will help kind of sum up what he was saying. Number one is this, your attitude determines your advancement. Your attitude determines your advancement. Now, come on. Here's how this whole thing starts off. The first two words past the greeting in in verse number two is this, pure joy. Count it pure joy. Now, listen, you you can be hyper-spiritual if you want, but I look at that and I say, come on, God. I am supposed to be in the midst of difficulties. I am supposed to be in the midst of heartache, in the midst of trials. The first words to me are pure joy. The first words to me are about my attitude. Now, let me paint the picture for you here. Here's here's the scenario James is painting. You're living your life like normal. You're a good person. You're coming to church. You're tithing. You're inviting people to church. You're serving in the church. Man, you're doing everything you know to do for the Christian life. You're reading your Bible as often as you can. You're praying as much as you can. You're you're trying to check all the boxes and do it right. And you're doing a good job. And you feel like you're close to God. And the next thing you know, you fall into a heap of trouble, as we'd say in the South. And it's not your fault. Right? There's some things that are your fault. There's some things that are not. This is not your fault. You're not just, it just wasn't trouble. You're surrounded by it. It's totally unexpected. Here you are serving God, doing the best you can. This thing you know, things are not going your way. And you have been there, and you may be there now. And this trouble is unexpected, uninvited, uninitiated, unbelievable trials and tribulations. But the real issue is not what's happening to us, is what James is trying to say. The real issue is our reaction to God while that is happening to us. Now, if I want to put down an emotional reaction to how God's letting things develop in my life, I've got some candidates, right? When you wake up and nothing's going your way all of a sudden, anger is an emotion that comes to mind, right? I'm a little angry at God for letting this happen to me. Here I was serving him, doing, doing everything I could, and the next thing I know, I'm in trouble. Frustrations, not a bad emotion to experience. Discouragement is not a bad emotion to experience. Confusion would rank right up there as an expected emotion. Sadness would rank up there as an expected emotion. But that's not James's charge. James said, here's what I want your attitude to be. Not anger, not confusion. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have, say it with me, joy. Say it one more time, joy. Joy. Now be honest, if it ended at verse 
two, we'd just, we'd, we'd just have a problem with the verse. Like I'd skip over it. But verse three kind of reels it in to understand it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And here's what James is trying to tell us. In order for your attitude to be what it ought to be, you're going to have to do this. Keep the end result in mind. That God is trying to produce something from the trial. What is he trying to produce from the trial? God is trying to give me staying power, endurance, and fortitude. And that's that when you go through those difficulties in life, if you'll stay close to God, if you'll trust him, if you'll live for him, then the person you become on the other side is better than the person that went in the front side. And the key is your attitude. Now notice this, James does not say feel joy. You've got to notice the words. James says, count it as joy. The word count and consider there means to lead out with your mind. Here's what God knows. God knows when we wake up on Monday and our lives are starting to unravel, God does not expect you to feel happiness and feel joy. But here's what God say, says. You alone are in control of your attitude, so you count it as joy. And here's real religion. God doesn't expect you to be happy about the trials. He wants you to consider the end, that in the end, you'll be a better person, a better Christian. If you handle adversity with the right attitude and stay close to God, you aren't joyful about the hardship. But you are thankful for the results the hardship is going to produce in your life. Three or four years ago, I, went, I was at a regular dentist appointment. And uh, I went to the dentist and, and he said, hey, uh, you have a lump in the roof of your mouth, upper palate. And I said, doesn't everybody? Because when's the last time you looked at somebody's upper palate in their mouth? Never. So you don't go around and ask somebody, well, how's your upper palate today, right? You just, you just kind of run with it, right? I had a lump in the upper palate, had been there for as long as I could remember, and uh, he said, no, you're not supposed to have those. He said, as a matter of fact, uh, there's only, there's only uh, a couple things that can be, and neither are good. And he said, you need to go to an oral surgeon. So I went to an oral surgeon down in Atlanta, and, and I was sitting there with him. I was trying to just make a lot of it, and he, I'm like, yeah, I bet you see these all the time. And he said, no. <laughs> no, I don't. I said, but it's no big deal, right? And he's like, uh, could be. I'm like, well, you're no fun. I was just hoping you would tell me to floss and go home. That's what I was hoping. He said, no, we need to do a biopsy on that. And here, here's what he said. He said, um, we got the biopsy back. And here's what he told me. He said, it's not cancer now, but all the time, these type of tumors turn into cancer. So he said, we got, we've got to get that out quickly. And so they, they scheduled a surgery for me, and uh, the anesthesiologist was back there about to put me to sleep. And, and, and he said, uh, you okay with us putting you to sleep? And I said, I'm fine as long as you wake me up. We're good with it. I, 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 don't, I don't stop the going to sleep part that bothers me. It's the waking up part that bothers me. And, and so they, you know, put all the tubes down my throat and all that. And, and so they took it out. When I woke up out of surgery, they had wired in a false upper palate for me. So I didn't really know what was going on. When they put me to sleep, they had told me, uh, the doctor said, they, there's a couple things that should go well. Uh, we're going to cut your, you know, uh, we're going to take the tumor out. He said, but if we have to cut in your sinus cavity, you're probably going to have a speech problem for the rest of your life. 
And I said, I, I need my mouth. Like that's, you, you may not know, but preachers make livings with their mouths, right? Like I need my mouth. And he's like, yeah, I know, but we, we won't know till we get in there. He said, how far the tumor is. And they, they, they put this false palate in my mouth, which is real inconvenient. It was just a mess. And but I didn't really know what all happened to me. And when I went back to the surgeon and he, he it'd been a week or so later and they took the false palate out of my mouth. I guess I had not put two and two together that they removed the tumor. They had literally cut away the entire upper, like this TMI, but I could step my tongue up and feel bone in my skull. You could take a golf ball. You said, how do you know this? Because I'm a boy. You could take a <laughs> golf ball. You could push it in my palate and it would disappear. I didn't have one. I could, my speech was impaired. I wasn't ready for that. I'm not an emotional guy. I don't get teary. I had a, the surgeon was like, it'll grow back. What? What? See, it'll grow back. Give it some few months. It'll grow back. I walked out of the surgeon's office and, and my wife was with me and, and I stopped in the parking lot and I got teary eyed. I don't do that, but I, I started crying a little bit, and she's like, you're going to be fine. I said, I know, but fail. <laughs> this is not good. Sure enough, my upper palate grew back. I have a wicked scar up in there. If you, no, I won't show it to you, but, but I can't feel. I don't have any feeling in the top portion of my mouth, I had, and I, I don't know why, but I've lost all the taste buds. I, it's hard for me to taste. Sherry will hand me a spoon of food and she'll say, see what this tastes like? And I said, like, I can't taste a spoonful. I have to get a mouthful of food to see what it tastes like. So I have a medical reason for being this size. <laughs> it's pure medical, pure medical. Don't make fun. I have a problem. And so, um, but here, here's, you say, why do you tell us that story? Here, here's why I'm telling you that story because I can't tell how many times I've said to my wife, she'll hand me a spoonful of food. I say this all the time. She'll say, test that. And I say, hey, I remind you, I need a spatula full of food to test it. And, I, and here's what I say all the time. Man, I, I didn't like that surgery, but I sure am glad they found that before it was too late. See, I didn't like the process that brought the results, but I sure am thankful today for the results. And can I say to you that in trials you can have pain in the process, but joy in the product. And I don't know what you're going through today. I do know this. It's no fun. Listen to me. Don't, don't ever think your preacher is making fun or making light of what you're going through. I am not. I know it's difficult, but God is not asking you to be happy about the pain. But to know that joy is coming in the product, there is joy on the other side. So here's what James is saying. Let the eventual joy influence your current attitude. Second thing he tells us is this. Let it go so you can grow. Here's what he means. You've had your attitude adjustment. The next part's not a lot easier because James says, here's the best thing for you to do. Listen, in that trial, you're going to have to let it go so you can grow the way God wants you to go. Here's what that means. That when you are facing a steady test of adversity, trials, and hardships, get this, 
It is a test. So here's what James was saying in verse number four. Pass the test. Let it have its perfect work, meaning you walk with God through the whole process. You stay close to him. You endure the difficulty the way a Christian ought to. And when you are done, you will have grown as a Christian. And the reason we don't grow in the Christian life is normally twofold. In the midst of trials, we don't endure to the end and we give up in the heat of battle and we find our own way out. And number two, we don't stay close to God during the process. We get angry, mad, and jump ship on the Lord. And both of those cause us to fail the test. God is not saying to go looking for hardship so you can grow. But he's saying when you fall into hardship, deal with it the right way. When you deal with it the right way, you will grow as a Christian. As a matter of fact, something that may seem like a hardship early on may not even be a hardship once you have matured, grown, and have no further need of training. If you jump ship, you'll never be what you ought to be as a Christian. And the reason so many Christians never grow in the Christian life is when things get a little difficult, they give up on God. And you never get past the test of trials, hardships, and endurance. My two girls tell me that when I die, they're going to put on my tombstone, he'll start a diet on Monday. <laughs> right? My problem is not starting diets. As a matter of fact, in my life, I think I have started 3,812 diets. That's just a random number, 38 and 12. And, um, but 3,812, that's what it was, I think. And so uh, some of you will get that later on, but... The problem is never starting a diet. Matter of fact, I, I left my phone in my office, but I joined Weight Watchers a few months ago on the mobile app, whatever. They, they changed the name this week. It feels like it's getting weird on me, but I mean, I joined it and I scan points all the time. I told my wife this past Thursday, I said, hey, I'm going to start Weight Watchers again. And she, you know, she kind of says, uh-huh, every time I do it, but, but I'm going to start it. And it, I did. I did Weight Watchers. I started it Thursday. And then last night she was out in town and she called me and she said, hey, here's what I'm going to cook. I'm going to cook a real healthy dinner last night. And, and she, we'd had a busy day, hard day yesterday. It's hard watching that football game, the way it turned out, all the stress. And, and um, she said, I'm going to cook a real healthy dinner. And I said, you could do that. Or I know you're tired. I would take, I would, in lieu of dinner, a healthy dinner, I would take a pint of Cherry Garcia ice cream, and that's all I would be eat for dinner. Now, I didn't see her roll her eyes on the phone, but I'm sure that's what she did. You say, how did that end? It ended with me eating a pint of Cherry Garcia ice cream for dinner. It's how it's ended. Say, how much weight did you lose? That's personal. None of your business. <laughs> what, you think I need to lose weight? Hey, who are you, man? Be talking about how much I need to lose. My problem is never starting a diet. My problem is getting it to last more than two days. I told her on the phone yesterday, hey, I'll, I'll start it on Monday. Bye. I'll be back on it on Monday. And, and I, 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 can't, I can't push through because I, I give up in the middle of it. Hold on, hold on. That's exactly what we do in the Christian life. 
God sends a test and a trial through a trial our way, and, and God is going to mature us in the Christian life. And here's what happened. We jump ship on God in the middle of the trial. You say, well, preacher, what if, I just, what if I just find my own way out? What if I just read my Bible a lot? Listen, the Bible, you ought to read your Bible. You ought to pray, but the Bible wasn't given for information. It was given for transformation. It was meant to put into practice. And when you're going through a difficult time, stay close to God. Keep living for him. It is a test in God expects you to pass the test. If you'll let it go and stay close to Jesus, you'll grow in the Christian life. That leads me to the third thing, and I'm through. Number three, here's what James said. Ask for a favor, but don't waver. If you're taking notes, just jot that down and then close your Bibles. I'll be finished in just a couple of minutes. Ask for a favor, but don't waver. So here's where you are. You're in a trial. Things are tough. You're hanging in. You're hanging on, but you have questions. Of course you have questions. And God said, don't, don't worry, just ask me. I'm not going to get upset in verse number five. I am a generous God who loves to impart wisdom. I'm not going to get angry. You just ask me and I'll answer. And so here's what you do. You can ask God two ways, in word and in prayer. And God will give you wisdom in times of distress. But here's the thing. Don't miss this. Look this way. Just close your Bibles. Look this way. Here's the thing. When God gives you wisdom... He wants you to listen to what he says. The meaning of verses 5 through 8 is God doesn't want you comparing his wisdom to someone else's. God doesn't want you to waver between his word and the guy at work. God does not, God is saying you cannot be double-minded. When I ask, you obey. You measure the quality of answer by the quality of the person you're asking. And you can ask no one better than God. So you, you get better advice when you ask questions of the right person. And so the quality of answer is always determined by the quality of the person you're asking. And so God said, if you're asking me, there is no one better to get advice from better than me. But here's the deal. When I give you wisdom, I expect you to obey it. Because no better wisdom is coming from anybody you know other than God. Because the quality of the answer is oftentimes determined by the quality of the person you ask. My wife and I go out to eat. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm simple. I, the waitress come by and she'll say, um, hey, what would you like for a, what would you like to order? And I'm simple. Uh, I'll say, I want a cheeseburger and a Diet Coke. I mean, raw broccoli and wa mineral water is what I say. And so, uh, uh, no, cheeseburger because uh, Diet Coke washes the calories away. We all know that. And so I'll order a cheeseburger and Diet Coke. And she'll look at my wife. My wife has two little quirks when she orders. It's cute. She has two little quirks when she orders. And here's one of them. The waitress will say, now, ma'am, what would you like to have? And I'll just make up a dinner. But she'll say, well, I'd like the fried chicken, the fried chicken plate with, that comes with mashed potatoes. And she'll say, that comes with mashed potatoes and green beans, right? They say, yes. She said, can I, can I substitute the green beans? And they said, yes. And she, she'll tell her what she wants. And she said, well, can I substitute the mashed potatoes too? You see her roll her eyes a little bit. And she'll say, you can. And my wife said, that comes with fried chicken, right? Can I substitute the fried chicken? Can I get fish instead of fried chicken? <laughs> and she'll say, so let me get this straight. You, you want, the, you want the fried chicken plate with mashed potatoes and green beans, but you want to substitute the green beans, mashed potato, and fried chicken. Yes, that's, that's what I want. <sighs> One of those. 
Matter of fact, when the waitress comes up to our table, I often say, when she looks at Sherry and says, what do you want? I often say, it's going to be complicated. (laughs) The other quirky thing my wife does when she orders is this. She always says, is that good? Always says, is that good? Like, what's she supposed to say, Sherry? (laughs) No, I got botulism from that last week, and uh, I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch it. But the other day, the waitress always says, always, 100% of the time, the waitress always says, oh, I love that. It's my favorite thing on the menu. Then she would throw a curve every now and then. Well, I was thinking about ordering this, and she'll be, oh, oh, well, that's my other favorite thing on the menu, that, that thing is. And half the time, whatever she's asking, she won't even order. She's just wanting to know if it's good, apparently. And so she'll ask her, and she'll say, but the other day, we, we, we finally got a truthful waitress, and my wife said, just some, she wasn't ordering fried chicken, but just imagine she's ordering fried chicken, and my wife looks at her and says, hey, is this, is that good? And the waitress said, all honestly, I don't know, I'm a vegan. I need to speak to the manager, right? Like, (laughs) listen, don't be offended if you're vegan. I believe God loves all people and all people can come to him in faith. Like, I believe that. You can be saved today. You can be, but, 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 I'm just playing, but kind of, but here's the deal. Now, I'm not getting steak advice from a vegan, Right? I'm not even getting chicken advice from a vegan. I'm not getting, I'll be honest, don't be, I'm not getting pizza advice from a vegan. Like, you, you eat dinner out of a straw most of the time. I, I need somebody, listen, if I want food advice, you just find the biggest guy in the room, right? That's typically me, right? Just ask me, I know, I know. If you're vegan, I, you're going to live longer than me probably. But I'm going to have more fun than you on the way there is going to be the truth. I'm, uh, there's just certain people I'm not going to get advice from. And God is trying to tell us to get advice from the right person. Look, you get, you get medical advice from a doctor. You get car advice from a mechanic. You get tax advice from a CPA. You get football advice from a UGA fan, right? There are some people that know. There are some people that know stuff. Sorry. When you're going through trials, here's what God said. Ask me, but don't just ask. Take his advice, go his way, and do his will. Stand with me now. I'm finished. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.